<laughs> Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Thank you to Sierra for that amazing video. She does a good job. All right. How is everybody this morning? I, if you haven't noticed, I am not Pastor Bob. You're all supposed to be, oh. Yeah, okay, well, no, here's the good news. So Pastor Bob and Susan are up in Northern California at Pastor Reno Dottillo's church preaching this morning. So Reno Dottillo is a pastor up there. He went to our church when he was a little kid long time ago. He's older than I am, so I can say that. It was a long time ago. So safe travels. They will be back tomorrow, and they will be back on Wednesday. So don't miss the edge on Wednesday. You make sure you want to be here. So this morning, I have a really good message. Is that good? Because it would be bad if I got up and was like, oh, I have this terrible message this morning. <laughs> so I have a verse that has kind of been going through my mind. And even before I was asked to preach this morning, I was it just, you ever get like a verse that's stuck in your head or maybe a, a, a line in a, a Christian song or even a secular song that kind of plays over and over? So this verse in my head is Romans 16, 19. Be wise in what is good and be innocent of evil. Be wise in what is good. How can you be wise in what is good? I mean, if it's good, isn't it just good? I mean, think about it. How do you be wise in something that's already good, innocent of evil? Actually, the word wise also means excellent. Be excellent in what is good. Be innocent of evil. And, you know, the more I've kind of thought about it, thought it over, tried to study it, there's not a whole lot more to it. So I kind of had to figure out, okay, what's, what's the difference between just being good and being excellent in being good? And I think there's a couple different things. You know, it's in Romans. And so Paul was, if you read part of Romans, this is towards the end of the book. And Paul had been telling the Romans, you're good people. You have good character. You have a good track record. You do what needs to be done. You're always following the good. But just be careful because sometimes you need to be wise in what you think is good. Be wise, not just in what's around you. Be wise in what you do. Be innocent of evil, but be excellent in good. Because what was happening in those days was there was a lot of deceit. How many have heard some deceit nowadays? There's, there was a lot of deceit going around. And so Paul was telling the Romans, listen, you have really good character, but sometimes there's things that people will tell you about God. Or maybe sometimes there's things that people will tell you just in general that sounds good. But is it really good? Like, is it, is it good? You know, there's like good and then there's really good. There's God good. There's good and then there's God good. You got to be excellent in what is good. Be innocent of evil. So the more I've thought about this, it's, I, I you know, I'm, I, I like art. So if you don't know, I love art. I, I'm not like a museum type of art. I think I'd laugh at most of the things that some people think are art, but I like art. I like being busy with my hands, creating things. And so I thought, okay, well, there's good and then there's really good. So if I had a photo of a, of a three-year-old that drew a picture of a person, would you put that one up? You'd be like, oh, that's good. One, two, well, you've got six fingers. That's good. Like a three-year-old, that's pretty good. But if I put it up against another three-year-old photo, show the next one. You'd be like, oh my gosh, that's really good. I mean, think about it. If a three-year-old did it, this one's like, oh yeah, that's good. But this one, if a three-year-old did it, you'd be like, wow, they got lips. They got nostrils. They got eyelashes. They even got a little bit of shading on the face. But if I put it up against this one and a three-year-old did it, you'd be like, 
Now that's good. Like there's one that's good. That is good. And that's good. That's like excellent. That's good, right? So it's kind of like that. You have to have a standard. There's got to be something that you compare good to. What makes something good? If you just throw it out there and go, yeah, that's good. Okay, well, that's good. Well, that's, that's, but gosh, that's good. I mean, if you compare it, that's excellent, right? So there's something that we have to compare our good to. If you don't have a standard, then it's just anything is good. Anything is good. So Paul was saying, be excellent in what is good. It depends on the standard. If you'll show this next one, this is called the Legrand K. Anybody ever heard of this? I'd never heard of this. Okay, now I'm not, I'm not a smart person. I ain't no smart person. But I read this online. This is really cool. From 1889 to 2019, the mass of a kilogram was defined by an object known as the International Prototype Kilogram. Does that make me sound smart? Or less formally, Legrand K. A kilogram was a kilogram because of this object, a platinum alloy cylinder that sits in a vault on the outskirts of Paris. Now get this. So they took this clump, this mass, and they defined it as a kilogram. This is the exact kilogram. So over 100 years, this is what defined. This was the standard that defined what a kilogram was. You measured everything kilogram off of this kilogram. And it was under three different glass things, took three different keys to get into, because if you change the standard, it changed everything. But what's happened is over the next 130 years, it's lost a microgram. Microgram. The, the weight of a grain of sand. That's how much it's lost. Just in time, no reason why, nobody really knows, but basically their standard changed. Their man-made standard that they judged everything by, kilogram-wise, their standard changed. And so they had to find something else by which to weigh their standard. But how many know God's word never changes? You take something that's man-made, you make a law that's man-made, that doesn't go by the standard of the word of God, it will change. God's word never changes. Man's word always changes. What you try to make in your own life without God will always change. You will fluctuate in the wind. You will change over time. How many look the same like you did when you were 14? That's confidence right there, my man. You got it. <laughs> In, t in 2009, a man by the name of Sanderson Jones, how would you like to grow up with the name Sanderson? Jones, Sanderson Jones. He grew up in a Christian home, and he's now one of the leaders of multi-congregation Sunday Assembly in Los Angeles. Would you show that photo? Sunday Assembly in Los Angeles. Looks kind of different. Small little church there. I know how church pictures work. You take the crowd. So, all right. Here's, here's his quote. There was so much about church that I loved, but it's a shame because at the heart of it, it's something I just don't believe in. If you think about church, there's very little that is bad. It's singing awesome songs, hearing interesting talks, thinking about improving yourself and helping other people, and doing that in a community with wonderful relationships. What part of it is not to like? 
So they called themselves the godless church. Come and worship without God. But here's what I found interesting. Atheists are atheists. If they tell you they don't believe anything, it's a lie. They believe in atheism. Doesn't even make any sense. But whatever. We won't go there. So this man grows up in church and decides, all this stuff is so much fun. I just don't believe in God. So I'm going to create a church where I get all the good stuff, just minus God. But here's the thing. He's right. There's good stuff. He's singing songs. You're having relationships. You're talking. You're getting to know others. You're caring for others. You're helping others. You're lending a helping hand. You just don't have God in the mix. You have good, but you don't have God. They took God. They took the standard by which we measure everything that we do in life. They pulled it out, and they left the good. And that's what Paul was saying to the Romans. Yeah, you have good. You have good. But be excellent. Be excellent. Find the God. Make the standard. Find where he is in the midst of what you believe and make sure you pull on that because if you pull out God, you become an atheist church. You come to worship at a church that's godless. You come to sing songs that are just karaoke. Right? You fellowship. You get to know other people. You care for others. You feed the poor. It's all good stuff. It's all stuff that God said, do this. But God said, do this in me, with me, do this. But when you pull God out, you still have good. You just don't have excellent. So God, out of everything that we have, what they pulled from their services was purpose. Because God gives each of us a purpose. There's a purpose for us being here this morning. It's not just to hear the cool new songs or the, the pastor's daughter up to preach, however cool she may be. I don't know. That's, okay, that's it. See, right, right there was a godless moment. So, okay. <laughs> It's not just about this. When you remove God from what you're doing, it's just good and it has no purpose. There's no purpose for them to show up on a Sunday morning and just sing karaoke outside of the fact that, huh, kind of feels a little good. We like to sing. Show off your voice. We come to church to worship the God that we're singing about. We come to church to hear the word so that we can walk out and leave with something fresh and something new for the week that we can share to others with our lives that have purpose. Because if we live day to day just in good your good's going to go away. Your standard's going to fail. Some morning you're going to wake up and go, I just don't feel like it this morning. But how many know when you wake up and you don't feel like it this morning, but you have a purpose? It doesn't matter that I don't feel like it this morning. There's a reason I got to keep moving. There's a reason I got to take the next step. There's a reason I've got to say what needs to be said because God is in it. God gave me that purpose. Our world is constantly changing, but God will never change. He is the source and standard by which we have measured all that we do. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter how much time passes, no matter how much the world changes, God will never change. There's two views that you can live your life by. The first one is a worldview. You can live your life in a worldview. That's the view of this is our world. 
We're here to enjoy this world. This is about us. This is about me. I take and I do what I want to do because this is my world. But then you have the biblical worldview, which this is God's world. I'm here for a purpose and a plan and a reason. There's something, there's a reason God has placed me where I am in him at this time, at this particular moment. There's a reason you're here today. There's a reason you're going to be somewhere tomorrow. There's a purpose for everything that you set out to do. But when you live in a worldview, you're here to survive. You take what you can get. You do what you can. You take it all. Whatever you can't take, you make sure you work for it. You work hard for it because nobody's going to give it to you. You take it. It's yours. Take it all. That's a worldview. You're just here to survive. Make it through life. Pleasure for today. Doesn't matter about tomorrow. But the biblical worldview says God's given you a purpose. God's given you a reason. God's given you something to do to accomplish every single day. There's a purpose and a plan. But when your purpose and plan is the standard of the world, how many know the standards today are way different than they were in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, and they'll be different than the next decade. It's constantly changing. The laws are ever-changing, but the Word of God never changes. As a Christian, we believe that everything has purpose greater than our own thinking and plans. Even Isaiah says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, said the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, there's times where I think, gosh, I got it all planned out. I got a really good plan. I think God's in this. And then something completely changes, and I think, well, God didn't hear my plan. <laughs> I had a really good plan. But, you know, God always thinks so much higher than I could ever think. The things that I never even dreamed of. And it's not just like the fairy tale dream, you know, the swirling star. It's not that kind of a dream. It's the dream like you just can't even imagine. Your mind can't even go where God wants to take you. It's impossible. You, you haven't even thought of it. Even your most creative thought doesn't even touch his thought. His ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much wider than our thoughts. God doesn't do anything without a plan or purpose. Psalms 19.1 says, even the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, there's the verse that says, even the rocks will cry out. Everything that God created has a plan and a purpose. Every single thing has a standard that we live by. And I don't know about you, but there's times where I think I have I think I have big faith. Like, I think I, I think most of the time I have a lot of faith. A lot of times it's a blind faith. Like, yeah, I think God's going to do it. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do. But then there's times where I feel like my faith is weak because I think, well, did he hear me? Like, I've asked. I have a need. Where, where is it? Where? Where is God going to step in? When is he going to step in? When is he going to, I mean, just by a, a word from his mouth and everything was created. And he can't just step into my small little piddly life. He just can't step in and do, did he not hear me? Is there something wrong with how I said it? Did I not pray it right? Should I get on both knees? Do I put my hands like this, like this, like this, like 
is there a way? Is there a rosary? Like, what should I do? Is there a formula? There's not. It's just a standard. It's just the day after day, I got to remind myself, today is maybe a hard day, but it's a day with purpose in everything you do and everything you say. You know, one of my, my favorite stories is in Matthew with Peter. I love Peter. He's kind of an idiot sometimes. He says the really dumb stuff. You know, I'm not preaching on it, but even the story about after Jesus was resurrected and he ends up kind of naked in a boat, jumps out when he sees, uh, that's a whole other story, I don't know, jumps out of a boat when he sees Jesus, you know, even though he's only a couple yards from the ocean, he was just that excited. He had that much faith, but he had that much faith. So in Matthew 14, 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Contrary. Who says that for the winds were high speed? The wind was contrary. Have you ever been exactly where you know God has told you to be, and a storm hits, chaos breaks out. Like you went out and you went out, you did, oh yes, God, I'm doing your purpose and your plan. This is what you told me to do. And then all hell breaks loose. That's kind of where they are. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, because who wouldn't be? saying, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Now, here's, here's what kind of threw me off. They're in the middle of the ocean in a really bad storm, because otherwise the Bible wouldn't say it was a really bad storm. And it wasn't, it wasn't where fear came in because of the storm. Fear came in because they think they saw a ghost. So it doesn't say that they were all huddled together this time in the boat, like other times. They were riding out the storm. They were in the middle of the storm, kind of coasting along, riding the waves, doing what you do in a storm, when they see a ghost. And that's where fear came in. So it was almost normal. You got to think, they didn't have cars. This was their means of travel. They had been in storms before. This wasn't anything out of the ordinary. How many have been in a storm before? In your life, not necessarily in the water. The next verse says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. <laughs> what? <laughs> it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. Okay, so here's where I get lost. First of all, don't be afraid, it's me. Okay, well, somebody's talking to me out in the ocean. The wind and the waves are usually not real quiet, right? I mean, we've all been, we don't have water around here necessarily, but you know, when it gets windy and it gets rainy, you hear stuff. It's loud. Things are flailing everywhere. Your boat is rocking. But yet they hear a ghost way out there. It is I. Yeah, I'm going to be a little scared. I don't know who I is. However, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, 
then call me out into the water. See, I think he heard something internally. I think he saw something just a little bit different. Like, who else would be crazy enough to walk on the water? This must be Jesus. Lord, if this is really you, call me out to the water. Now, I don't know about you, but my first thought would not be, I'm going to jump in the boat and do like Jesus. Or jump out of the boat and do like Jesus. That's, that's not my first thought. My first thought is more, hey, can you teleport us to the other side? We're kind of done with the water here. But no, Peter says, if it's you, Lord, just tell me to come out. Because he knows the only one crazy enough to say, yes, jump out of the boat, would be Jesus. You ever been in a circumstance where you had so much faith, you just knew this has to be God. This has to be God because this is so crazy and so off of what should be happening. This has to be God. This is good, but this is excellent. There's something here that, okay, this has to be God. That's his faith. So the next verse says, so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but <coughs> bro ain't calling me out to the water. <laughs> I mean, I mean I'm, I'm standing on the edge. I would imagine the 11 behind me are telling me I'm crazy. You ever had people around you tell you you are crazy? <laughs> this cannot be God. This does not look like a God scenario. But yet inside you, you're going, no, I know my God. I know what, this has to be God. Only God would tell me to do this. But yet the 11 behind him, I'm sure we're not sitting there encouraging him to jump overboard. Because you got to think, the boat's not still. The boat's moving. It's moving. It's up and down. It's back and forth. Water is everywhere. And we make it sound like he just slightly stepped out of the boat. Gently started walking. I don't think so. I think the dude just leapt overboard. I think he was just all in. I think he had that much faith that he was like, yeah, I'm going out. Who cares how I land? But he landed, which is even more weird. But he landed. The next verse, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Now here's the thing. What changed? He's walking on the water walking to Jesus, and then he sees the storm. Well, the storm hadn't changed. The storm was already there. It was there before Jesus ever showed up on the water. So what was so different? He was walking on the water, and he looks around and sees the storm. Well, yeah, the storm was already there. So why did it make a difference when he's walking on the water? What was it that was so different from in the boat to outside the boat? The storm was there either way whether he's walking with Jesus or not. The difference is that how many have ever sat in your storm compared to walking through your storm? You know, if you sit in a storm and you're in a boat, the storm takes you where it's going to take you. You're just kind of complacent. You sit back, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm gonna, I got my life vest on. I'm riding the waves. But then there's times where God calls you to walk through your storm. He calls you just to get out of the boat and walk through the storm. It's not the same thing. The 11 sat back 
and kind of let the storm do the storm thing. But Peter decided, okay, there's got to be a purpose. There's got to be something better. There's got to be a good and there's got to be an excellent. This has to be the excellent because who else would say to do that? And it says in the next verse, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? <laughs> oh, you of little faith. I've always read this and been like, wow, like that's a little faith, like a little bit of faith. I can't imagine how much faith I have. I've never stepped outside a boat like that. How much faith did he have? I mean, there's 11 other guys in the boat. So how much faith did they have? Because they've seen Jesus do so many things, and they've done things themselves that Jesus has told them to do. That would take a lot of faith. But yet he tells Peter, oh, you of little faith, why is it so different? Why, why does he have a little bit of faith? Because I've always thought, like a, like, a little bit of faith? So how much faith do I have? I mean, I can walk through a storm, and, and you get through it, and you know, when you're done, you're kind of like, oh, thank God this is over. But in the middle of the storm, I don't think I walk through it and think I have a huge amount of faith. But clearly, even Peter didn't have a lot of faith. But, you know, the more I read and studied it, there's two definitions to little. One means little, like tiny, minute in size. It's very, very small. And I've always thought that's what Peter had. Peter had just a little bit of faith. But the other definition means little in time or duration. I think that's what Jesus meant. I think Jesus meant, oh, you of little faith, you stepped out of the boat, but your faith didn't last very long. Like, it didn't go very far. It was big. But then fear came in, and it didn't last very long. Because I know there's times where I can have a lot of faith. And I'm like, all gung-ho, yes, we're going to do this. And we get part way out, and I'm like, wait a minute. I think that's a little bit of faith. I had a lot of faith, because even the Bible says that just a faith the size of a mustard seed will move a mountain. Why haven't we ever moved a mountain? It's a little bit of faith, because it means time and duration. I can have faith today, but will I have faith tomorrow? And if I have faith tomorrow, will I have faith that evening when things get a little bit harder, when the lightning strikes, the thunder roll, when everything gets loud, when it, when it feels like it's bigger and maybe it is, maybe it isn't, is my faith going to last? But I think God was saying, I think Jesus was saying, no, Peter, you have faith, but it didn't last very long. Like you, you got out of the boat. That was amazing. But it landed. Like it, it stopped. I've had small faith. Anybody else ever had small faith? So here's the thing. It's fear that creeps in. There's faith and then there's fear. You can't have faith and fear at the same time. They both want the same thing. Fear wants you to believe in something that has not yet happened. Fear wants you to believe in something that has not yet happened. Faith wants you to believe in something that has not yet happened. You can't have fear and faith at the same time. You can't walk in fear and faith at the same time. You have to have faith. If fear creeps in, your faith is small, short-lived. It's a little bit of faith. 
You can't have fear and faith at the same time. They both compete for the same thing. They both want your attention. They both want you to believe in something that you have not yet seen, that has not yet happened. Fear creeps in and you think, oh, I don't know, if I give my tithe, I'm not going to have enough to do this. If I go here, I won't be able to go there. If, if I pray for healing, and it doesn't happen. There's always an and, there's always a but, there's always a, I don't know. I don't know. That's where our fear gets small. The difference is which one are you going to believe? The next verse says, And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There's the fear. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Don't you like how they all tag on to his miracle? Oh, yes, truly you're the Son of God. You were no longer a ghost. But here's how I always, always picture this. Put that next picture up. This is how I picture Jesus. Like, Jesus, save me. But it says in this verse before, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Now, I always pictured it like, Jesus, is that you? Like, at the back door, is that, is that you? God, if it's you, just call me over the boat. Yeah, yeah, come over the boat. So I fall. I'm walking on water. Fear creeps in. I start to sink. Jesus, save me. And there he is with his hand. Which means that there's no way that Jesus was way out there. There's no way that Jesus was that far. There's no way that Jesus was just where David is on the front row. It has to be that Jesus was right next to Peter. Right next. You have to be there to lift a hand out. And when you're sinking, you can't even be from here to the steps. You've got to be right there. I mean, think it through. You gotta, Jesus was right there all along in the middle of his fear. All he did was reach out his hand. That means he was close enough for Peter to touch. But he was still scared. Even in the middle of your storm, your fear and your faith are going to compete for your attention. Which one are you going to choose? And honestly, either one you choose... Jesus is right there. Like he was walking with him. I don't know if Peter's walking on the water and then he falls. I don't know. Was he walking to Jesus? Was he walking with Jesus? I don't know. It doesn't say. Does it matter? Probably not. At the end of the day, Jesus was there close enough in the middle of Peter's storm, in the middle of everything that's going on. All he had to do was reach down. That was it. He just reached down and it was over. He's never so far off. Acts 17 says this, The God who made the world and everything is in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and their boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Though he's not far from any one of us. He stretched out all of creation. He marked where you were supposed to be, your boundary. And God said, oh, this is 
this is Suzanne's boundary. This is where she's going to be. This is, what, this is the place I've called her to. And in that place, he was not so far off when I cried out. And then he placed you in your place. And sometimes it crosses over to my place. Sometimes we got to work together. But even when we do, in the middle of a storm, he's not so far off. You could be way over there and I could be way over here. But it doesn't matter. He's the creation of all of it. And yet he's not so far off that he cannot just reach out a hand when you call in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your storm. The creator of heaven and earth. His standard doesn't change. There's a lot of good stuff. But only God's word is excellent. Only God's word is what you should live your standard by. When the world tells you, this is a new law that we're going to create, does it line up? with the word of God? This is a new way we're going to tell you to do things. Does it line up with the word of God? Is it a worldview or a biblical view? If it's a worldview, all you got to do is know, okay, is it self-serving? Is it selfish? It may be good, but is it excellent? Does it line up with the word of God? Because eventually it will fail. And eventually, in the middle of your storm, you need a standard that will never fail, that will never change, that'll be the same yesterday, today, and forever. You need to be there so that you know when to call on your healer because he's healed in the past, to call on your provider because he's provided before, to call on the peacemaker because he's given peace, to call on the one who will be the joy and will be your strength because that's who he is and he never changes. When you reach out to the world and try to fulfill in that way, it will always change. Well, is it there? I don't know. Will it make me happy this time? It did last time. He will always be excellent and good. Be excellent in what is good. Be innocent of evil. When you are excellent, in what is good, when you live your life according to the standard of the word of God, you will be innocent of evil. You won't worry about, am I making the right decision and going in the right direction? When you follow the standard of the word of God, it is excellent. You will be innocent of evil. Just like, P just like Paul said to the Romans, you have good character. I see your track record. I see what you've done. I see your heart. I see where you're going just be wise. Be wise. Be excellent in what is good. Know the difference. If you don't know the word of God, you don't know the standard. It's not about getting up and reading your devotional in the morning, making sure you get that verse of the day, unless you live by that standard. Then it's just a bunch of words. You know, I always say, even theologians can be atheists. Just because you can quote the word, Satan quoted the word to Jesus. It don't make him holy. So it's not about doing your due diligence and reading just to read. It's about living the standard, knowing what the standard is so that you can make those wise and excellent decisions, those choices that you have to make in your life because a storm is going to come. If you're not there, there's one on its way. It happens. 
Storms are part of life. It happens. You've got to be able to withstand the storm. Step out of the boat. Have a little bit more than just a little bit of faith. And it's not the amount. Listen, if you are here in church and you believe in Jesus Christ, I believe you have enough faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. It takes faith to believe in the word of God. It takes faith to believe in Jesus Christ. So you're already halfway there. You already have the faith. It's the duration. It's the amount of faith. How long are you going to live in the standard? How long are you going to know that it's going to go with you, the duration of time? How long are you going to be able to make that choice and not let fear creep in? How long? Because the next time the fear comes up and says, well, yeah, I know the doctor said most likely you're okay, but he didn't give you 100%. That's fear. Are you going to believe in what is excellent or in what is good? The doctor's report was good, but was it excellent? He's going to be your provider when your job gets cut. When your income goes down, when you get a bill that's unexpected. You know, we've had a refrigerator goes bad. Everything goes bad. Uh, well, not everything. Almost went bad. Started to go bad. So we had to get a new refrigerator. And how many know that? That's not like 100 bucks. <coughs> not anymore. And then our dishwasher goes bad. So we got to get a new dishwasher. And then up until two weeks ago, we would dry laundry and be up till midnight, literally 12, 1230 at night when it would finally almost dry because our dryer decided it's just going to blow air, not hot air, of course, just going to air dry. But here's the thing. I'm not line drying. I'm not washing my clothes down by the creek. I'm not, I'm not having to kill the dog to eat, eat for dinner. I mean, there's, there's, we're provided for. I know who my God is. Does it, does it kind of stink? Yeah, it's hard-earned money. It's, oh, it's one of those things. But you know, some of you are going through even harder things. Some of you have physical. Some of you are going through depression. Some of you have spouses that are not saved. Some of you have kids that don't want to have anything to do with you. There's so many things that we go through every day in life. Just remember, who are you going to believe? Faith or fear? Just a little bit. Can you have more than just a little bit? Because you have enough faith. If you can believe in a God you can't see, you have enough faith. It's the duration of time. Amen. Would our worship team come on up? Listen today as we close. Today, as we close, I want to remind you that this week, when you go through things, if you're having a great day today, that's awesome. That's, a, that's amazing. Praise God. Tomorrow, if a storm hits, praise God in the middle of your storm. Remember who is good. Remember you need faith to last the storm, to walk through the storm. But you know, there's a reason we come to church. And one of those things that the Bible talks about is how we're here to fellowship. And there's people here that want to pray with you. If you are not connected with somebody, come up front at the end of service when they're closing in worship song. Come up front, we'll pray with you. We don't want you to leave like you feel like you're alone because you're not. 
this is a part of church. You connect with others, get involved with others so that we can walk with you through your storm. Amen. Amen. Would you all stand? We're going to close the service today. Don't forget to come back on Wednesday for our service. Lord, we come before you and I thank you for this congregation. Lord, I thank you that you are the one that we hold our standard to. Lord, your word is steadfast, never changing. The same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that you are the one that we can have faith in as we walk out, as we walk through what we're going through. So Lord, I pray today as we all leave that you would you would give us faith bigger than a mustard seed, but Lord, faith that will last through the storm. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, 